Greetings dear listeners this is Pulkit Garg your host on we are listening and the podcast dedicated to helping you to explore nature's healing powers for your being and today we embark on a journey toward the heart of successful relationships exploring the six essential tips to create a bond that stands the test of time and once again joining us is the remarkable Anna with extensive experience of guiding individuals towards fulfilling and enduring relationships. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. So, you know, let's understand uh, more about you and, uh, you know, the different extraordinary aspects of your practice that you incorporate, the emphasis on emotions, love and values over materialistic desires. So, listeners, let's get to know Anna in her own words. And Anna, why don't you help our listeners understand more about you and the work that you do? So I was born in Italy in 1965. So I'm close to 60 now. Mm-hmm. And I was born in a family of healers, mediums, psychics, all that kind of things. But while I was growing up, it wasn't something that you would particularly publicize because, you know, Catholic country and all that kind of things. So when I was 16, my auntie gave me her own set of tarot cards and I started reading cards for strangers. We were on the beach, it was summertime, and I was just reading cards for pure strangers. And by the end of summer, they started coming back saying to me, oh, you know, when you read my future, this has happened already and this and that. And what I started to have a real deep interest was human nature. Why do we do what we do? What can we do to be better, not to suffer, not to be going through struggle in life? How can we enjoy life? How can we get more soul food and all that kind of things? And that really, I've been doing all sorts of things. I was a photojournalist. Before that, I was a paparazzo, you know, the one that runs after the famous yeah. people and take pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the basic walls, I am fascinated by human nature. I am fascinated by what makes us tick and also by learning ways to improve our lives, to have better relationship with ourselves, with other people, to become the best version of ourselves. And so that has been my journey from uh, learning healing. I am a master and teacher in Sekem, which is ancient Egyptian healing, plus I'm a Reiki master, you know, I do several things with healing because I believe that our bodies are made of energy and we need to balance the energies as well as the mental and spiritual side of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so little by little, I created more and more programs and things to support people in their journey. Uh, one of the things was that my father was a narcissist and we had several people within my family on my dad's side that were narcissists. So I learned a kind of narcissistic love. And I kept on being in relationships with narcissists because they felt familiar. Until about 10 years ago, when it was my last narcissistic relationship, where I said, no, that's enough. This is too painful. Mm-hmm. And so I started studying narcissists, understanding why the people want to be with the narcissist, why are they fascinated by them and that. And as a matter of fact, I'm the author of the upcoming book, which is called Phoenix Rising, the book Mm -hmm. on how to recover and thrive after narcissistic abuse, because I've seen it is everywhere, is at work, is 
in parents children relationship is in love relationship siblings everywhere but it's a sign of a mental issue because narcissists have been profoundly wounded when they were children and then they tend to have certain behaviors and certain attitudes and so i made it one of my life missions to support people coming out of narcissistic relationships at the same time because i've seen that men don't have enough support i support men going through divorce and separation because their uh, suicide rate in england in 2020 was 73% were men that committed suicide and i think there's something we can do about it and i'm definitely there to help as many men as i can because i don't want to see i personally know four different people that commit a suicide and it's horrible because you will always have the doubt of what could i have done how could i have helped and i don't want people to commit suicide i want people to be healed and supported so that they can move in their greatness you know you know that's an inspiring life story and i'm in awe of the work that you are doing and you have been doing with the journey you have been evolving as an individual as well you know you also in our initial conversation touched upon the work uh, the brief work that you did for refugees as well while you were creating a documentary yes and, uh, you know in your experience in helping individuals uh, rebuild their lives in challenging circumstances so how does it contribute uh, to your understanding of successful relationships you see my last projects as a documentarist was about Liberian refugees that were going into Sierra Leone because in Liberia Liberia at the time they had civil war mm-hmm. and what happens to a refugee from the moment they cross the border now the thing is as a refugee you basically arrive you have left everything behind you have left people behind your lifestyle everything and you find yourself in a completely different environment and you have to try to survive at least until the civil war finishes and you can go home but you don't even know what kind of home you will find when you go back yeah one of the things that was the one of the biggest lessons i got at the time imagine liberians were farmers mostly one of the things that the rebels would do they would get the children from the village they would kidnap them drag them do all sorts of things to them and then turn them basically into killing machines so these children would then be made to go back to their original village and either kill people or cut off their hands cut off their feet stuff like that so that they couldn't go back home and they would have to stay with the rebel right which i thought it was atrocious we are talking about 11 year old 12 year old 14 year old kids they were put in such a terrible thing they were made to kill their own neighbors so they couldn't go back home they couldn't run away and go back home right and the biggest lesson i got from these people imagine you are a farmer you need your feet and your hands the amount of forgiveness that these people had i have basically as a rebel taken away your possibility to sustain yourself and your family because how can you be a farmer with no feet and no hands right mm. and they still forgave the people that did it 
These are people that they grew up with. Imagine your neighbor comes, kills your family, make you a disabled person, and you still understand that these were children, that they were drugged, that they were forced, and you forgive them? To me, I was like, whatever happens in my life, my aspiration is to have their level of consciousness, their level of spirituality, their level of understanding. And if they can do it, I got to find a way to do it for myself. I'm finding difficult to find words, uh, you know, for next question. That's a really, I would say, a learning as well as an horrifying experience. And I can just imagine the, you know, adversities uh, refugees would have to face, move out of their home. Like, at times, we just move to a different place, go to our relative's place, and we start complaining about the bed, or, you know, the uncomfortable bed we are not getting out yes. to sleep. Yes. And it's just beyond imagination leaving your home that you've built with your own, you know, hard work and sweat and soul and that you have to leave just because of some civil unrest that's happening in your country on your location and just leaving it all behind with no, you know, knowledge of the what's going to happen in the future. Yes. And you're leaving your family members. You know, one of the first things that they do in, um, in these kind of situations is as soon as a child, because very often, if you couldn't travel, you will give your child to your neighbors, asking them to please bring them to safety. But if your child is a toddler, if you come one year later, that toddler will look nothing like it was when you first left. Yep. So the first thing that the charities that support refugees do is take the picture of every single child so that if the parents will be able to join them later on, they will recognize them from the pictures. So imagine the level of trauma you're living, like you're leaving your sisters, your mother, your father, your cousins, and you don't know if they're going to be killed. So the level of trauma is beyond what I can humanly understand. But you see, I was raised by people that went through First and Second World War, and I could still see the scars and the fears that were left in them after such a traumatic experience. So in a way I could relate because my uncles, my aunties, my grandparents, they went through similar experiences. But it will never be a first person experience. So I can only imagine, but I cannot physically, emotionally feel what they've been through. No, I can totally say this. Uh, and um, I really appreciate the you know, journey you have taken in this work because the genocide that happened uh, right after independence for India, the way there were riots and uh, a lot of killings that happened on the Indian-Pakistan border, not getting too much into that. But, you know, I have seen my friends who have recovered, uh, you know, living the scars that you're just mentioning, the families still live mm -hmm. with those traumas. And it's very difficult. And you mentioned about forgiveness coming, uh, you know, being able to forgive at that level. Yes. It's something uh, we all need to learn. And, yes. you know, we as individuals are often driven by materialistic desires. And as more and more comforts are coming in our lives, more and more spending powers are coming in our lives, our sense of achievements and a sense of emotions and love and values all just, you know, revolve around the materialistic uh, desires, uh, fulfillment. So 
how can really individuals shift their focus from these aspects and focus on things that really matter into building a very successful enriching relationship with their family members with their spouses with their kids with their friends how can they do that okay the first thing is we have to realize that men and women go through phases in life mm-hmm. so you go from childhood to what is called the warrior phase which is you are fighting to establish yourself you are fighting to have a roof over your head to create a career to create anything that you can call the materialistic thing but really is anything that supplies life and supports life so from the roof over your head to your life companion to the finances that can provide the roof over your head etc once you've established all that and we are talking up to your mid 30s early 40s if you created a life that is sustainable enough then there is enough room to think about the most emotional side the spiritual side why am i here on this earth and things like that of course this process is different for certain people some people ask why am i on this earth when they are in their early 20s some people will never ask and some people will ask in their late 50s for example but mm. as a, a general idea so mm. materialistic what we are actually saying is i'm trying to survive so if instead of judging the fact that we are materialistic we start looking at why do i need 10 pairs of shoes see for me for example when i first came to the uk I was working in Pizza Hut so I'm telling you the money was not a lot I was studying full time but I was coming from a family where I never had to work because my duty was to study and to be a university and all that kind of things so all of a sudden I started developing things like as soon as I had some money I would buy things like tin food and stuff like that and stuff my cupboards because I decided that when I was in South London there's a tube station called Brixton mm-hmm. and at the very beginning when I arrived there was this guy sitting there not drunk or anything just asking for charity mm-hmm. and he had the most beautiful English and you know his dictionary was just out of this world and everything and speaking to the people that were around him they said he used to be a university professor who had a nervous breakdown when his wife left him and he ended up begging in front of Brixton tube station so in my mind of someone who has just arrived in a new country and everything i thought if he can end up like this as he, he used to be a university professor god knows what could happen to me so i started being like a squirrel thinking at least i won't die of starvation at least i won't have to go and beg in front of Brixton tube station see so we create a whole set of behaviors and beliefs according to our life circumstances or to who we see things happening to so mm-hmm. we need to step back and say why am i doing this am i doing it to say why am i buying the 10 pairs of shoes am i doing it because i'm scared that i won't have enough money to buy more shoes am i doing it because i actually appreciate their beauty Am I doing it because I actually need them because I do a lot of networking and functions and things and I need to change my clothes. So the more we know why we do things, what moves us 
the more we can uh, navigate life in the way that is best for us. So if I think, well, do I really need 10 shoes? Maybe five, but the other five, I'm gonna invest my money in something else that will give me more return on investment. Then I'm starting to think in less materialistic way, but in a more focused and forecasting way. You see? Yep. You know, in one of the previous episodes, you also mentioned about the importance of nurturing a child in the right direction and sharing the right information with the yes. younger generation. What are the key lessons as per you that should be imparted to the youth about building and sustaining healthy relationships? Never use love as a weapon, as a threat, because it will always backfire. Okay. So if you don't do this, I will stop loving you. You are not threatening me. What you are showing me is you are not strong enough to love me no matter what, which means I cannot trust you to be in the long run win my life. So the moment you threaten me by stop loving me, what you have done, you have automatically lowered your category of importance in my life. So we have to be careful about emotional blackmail. We have to be careful about what we do, just considering ourselves and not the other person. Because even if we don't officially realize what you're doing, my subconscious will keep track of what you've been doing and will know whether you are worth being in my life or not. You know, and I go on the basis of if you did that to me, would I like it? And if the answer is not for you, it's not for me neither. Would I like to be talked to in that way? Would I like to be treated in that way? You know, if I have to beg you to be my friend, why am I begging you? Why am I still around? You see? Yep. Well, generally we get really like, oh, why don't you want to be my friend? What have I done wrong? Blah, blah, blah. What I have to look at, why do I feel so unlovable that I will be happy to keep on chasing someone to give me their friendship? So work on yourself. Why am I unlovable? Is it true? That's the first question to ask. Is it true that I'm so unlovable? Do I have anybody that loves me? Then it's already a no. Mm -hmm. If someone is loving me, it means I'm not unlovable. You know? So it's about self study, just observation. Why am I doing this? And then you start to understand there's a whole set of behaviors that you started for survival. But maybe that survival situation is no longer there, so you don't need it anymore. And just in the same way that you change the clothes in your wardrobe, but you don't use the same one that you were five years old, you change your behaviors because they don't serve you anymore. They don't support you. But you need to know what kind of person do I want to be? Mm. And we got infinite possibility. And this is why it's so beautiful. And you know, often it happens that our understanding of a relationship is influenced by the utopian expectations yes. that certain Hollywood and Bollywood movies often, yes. you know, get us into. We are living in a dreamland. Very true. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it might often happen that at the starting of a relationship, we are in our gala land, you know, with those guitars playing in the background, butterflies in the stomach and everything happening. Yes. But 
as we start to evolve in that relationship as time passes you know the reality strikes mm-hmm. and then we are like okay this is not what we thought of this is not what we wanted and we start to move out of those relationships we start to find ways out of it at times you know just getting into that a different relationship and just to feel that initial emotional push again that emotional rush that happens yes how can you know individuals in today's time really come together and bring a balance between the utopian expectations or the utopian ideas they have about the ideals you know that they build in their mind to the reality of actually having a relationship you see first of all many people get into relationship not knowing what they want so if i'm not clear is a bit i'm going to a restaurant i just know i'm hungry but i don't know what i want mm-hmm. so instead of saying i want my chicken with potatoes da 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 i just say to the waiter well just bring me anything cuz i'm hungry mm-hmm. but the waiter doesn't know what i want so life brings you anything because that's what you asked for and then you go but i don't like this well how can i bring you something when you don't know for first what you want right so yeah. the first thing is about what are the values that are important to me because you know one of the reason why people divorce they never stop and say what are you like when you fight do you fight dirty do you fight fair what do you want your children to be raised as what are your religion beliefs and what is a, a kind of no go area and what is something that you're happy to negotiate nobody wants to have the hard discussions and then they find themselves in the situation where the hard discussion needs to be had but it's too late by then you see mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you need to be clear say i want someone who will not cheat on me some people say well i couldn't care less maybe i want someone that is rich and provides for me financially so i don't care if he sleeps around you know everybody is different so it's not about judging and pointing fingers but it's about be clear about what is your non-negotiable you know i will not go with someone who lies and cheats and steal is a non-negotiable for me for some people that is not the non-negotiable there's something else I will not go with a man who either abuse me emotionally or physically or anything like that. That's a no-go area for me. Some of the people, oh, but it was just a slap. For me, it's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is unacceptable. You see? So you need to be very clear about who you are. What are your biggest value? For me, for example, one of my biggest values is freedom. So I couldn't go with someone who tells me what to do every 5 minutes because I feel I got a really good brain and I can decide for myself. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. Other people love to be guided. So that man would be the perfect for the woman that wants to be guided. You see? So there's no black and white or right or wrong, but there is a lot of know yourself. Know what you want. Know what's important for you. You know, if I want both the emotional support and as well I want a man who's got a job, 
I cannot get a workaholic because he will not be able to give me the emotional support that I need because he's got other priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see? So even within Bollywood, have a look. When you see the character doing certain things, out of a love story, what would you prepare to accept? And what would you be prepared of letting go? And what would you be like, not a chance in hell, never do that to me. You see? So use the Bollywood and all that to bring it back to you and to see what do I need. And then find someone with similar values. You know, I'm Catholic, so I can eat pork. I don't know if being with a Muslim long term, I will be happy never to eat pork again. Because in Italian culture, we use a lot of, you know, ham and salami and all these kind of things. So that would be something I would need to take into consideration should I go in, into an interreligious relationship. Because it's very important that both of us feel safe, you know, and if it doesn't feel safe in having pork in the house, I don't think the pork should be there. But at the same time, I will not say I will never eat pork again just because I'm with you and you are Muslim. You see what I mean? Yep. And it's about being objective because very often we fantasize more because we want a person next to us than because we want that person. People are feeling lonely. Oh yeah, you will do. That's fine. But it doesn't work like that because sooner or later things will come up because you're not a good match. Mm-hmm. So do your work for preparation rather than having to fix things later. And why don't we wrap up this episode by, you know, summarizing the relationship into six most important things, the six most important pillars of an enriching and invigorating relationship out there. Okay. So definitely the very first pillar that to me is so, so important is emotional connection. Mm-hmm. I must know that no matter what, we will still communicate You know, I might not like what you do, but I like you. Yeah, so emotional connection, really, really important. Creating the safe space where we can talk about things, even about the difficult situations, the difficult discussions that we are having. You know, because at the end of the day, I must know that no matter what happens, I can come to you. Mm -hmm. Emotional support. That's a big one. I don't care how much money you bring home if when I'm crying, you just leave me there to cry. Mm -hmm. Then another really important thing is how do you resolve conflict? As I was saying earlier, if you fight dirty, if you think that if we're having a discussion it's okay for you to hurt me on purpose so that you can win. Just remember, you win this battle, but you lose the war because I won't be around taking abuse just because you tried to win. So you need to ask yourself, what was it that it was so important for me to win that I'm prepared to lose her in order to win? Yeah? Mm-hmm. And then intimacy. Now, intimacy, I'm not just talking about sex. What I'm talking about is that, you know, that good morning said with a real me, that 
oh, I found your favorite chocolate and I got it for you. Or, oh my God, I just seen the most beautiful sunset and I called you because I really want to share it with you. Do you see? Because mm -hmm. we lose that. We just get tangled up in the normal day-to-day -day life. And we forget that there are so many important things that we're just leaving behind. But they are the real pillars of our relationships. And so, and the other really thing is adaptability. Because the person you were when we started the relationship is never going to be the same. Because we evolve naturally. Yep. So I cannot keep on counting on your first version of yourself. I need to be able to see who you are becoming. We support each other in becoming the best version of ourselves so that then we can create an even better and more harmonious relationship. But I cannot get stuck on the idea of who you used to be because I'm not the same person that I was when we started the relationship, even one year down the line. <laughs> yep. So flexibility really is the most important thing in a relationship. And just to remember that we're here at, on a basis of trial and error and that we'll all make mistakes. So don't be there judge and jury, just pointing your finger. Just understand why people do it. But if you know they're doing it on purpose, then that's a different story. Because you need to be able to say, sorry, you've done it with mean intentions and I won't accept that. You know, Anna, you have made this complex journey of being in a, uh, you know, a celebrious relationship so simple and supported by these six pillars. Uh, and I believe somewhere or the other, the two things which for me are really important in a relationship are trust and communication. And yes. I believe these two fit in right at the top uh, with emotional connection coming into picture, emotional support coming into picture. Yes. Uh, I... I believe this really would help our listeners, you know, to navigate their relationships better. And wouldn't it be amazing that our listeners share their experiences after understanding these six pillars in their relationship and finding a way to inculcate these things? What's your... That would be fantastic, yes. Amazing. So, Anna, thanks a lot for coming on a podcast and you know helping us navigate this whole complex journey of you know relationships step by step by breaking different milestones and through understanding the traumas men go through how can they overcome it the narcissistic relationships coming out of it building our own self-image and finally concluding with these six steps of building an invigorating relationship thanks a lot thank you so much for inviting me it's been an absolute pleasure and listeners, once again, if you have any queries, any feedback, please feel free to share and reach out to us. We will be more than happy to discuss with you and help you evolve and evolve ourselves as well. Thanks a lot. Stay tuned. And signing off for today, Pulkit Garg from We Are Listening.